So she sent a message saying, look, basically, to paraphrase, I care about you, please be safe. Mm. And then I kind of swatted off being like, oh, yeah, thanks. I'll make sure to be careful. And then she said, how's life with the boys? And my, my response was, I'm fine, full stop. How's life with everyone else? And two hours later, I attempted suicide. So help wow. was in front of me. Yeah, Help was present, help was available, but I chose to ignore it out of perpetualizing, uh, sorry, perpetuating the masculine sort of traditional norms that go with being a man, the expectations I had of myself, the fact that if I was rendered as vulnerable, I would be rendered as weak. If I was exposing myself as feeling this way, I'd be less of a man. I'd be not the Fergus that this person knew. I'd be letting down the expectations of me academically. All these things, all these things. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. This month's sponsor is Be The Business, who are helping the UK small businesses power up in 2022. Over the last fortnight, I've been telling you all about how to get involved with Be The Business's free mentoring programs for SME leaders. Today, I want to dive into the details a little more and tell you all about how their mentoring programs really work and how they could really benefit your business. Now, remember, these programs are totally free. They're fully funded, so it means that it costs your business nothing. They're also designed to be as time efficient as possible. Senior staff, right the way from founders to senior managers, can sign up to either a 12-week rapid mentoring program or a longer-term 12-month program. Both work in the same way. You'll be matched with an experienced business leader from some of the UK's most successful firms. In fact, your mentor will be selected by Be The Business based on your business's needs and requirements. Through regular check-ins, you'll have a sounding board for testing new strategies, reviewing your business plans, and improving your business's performance for the duration of the program. As you all know, I've been going on about the benefits of mentoring for so long on this podcast, so if you'd like to check out Be The Business's free mentoring programs, please go to bethebusiness.com forward slash mentoring and sign up for more information. Okay, so welcome to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my guest today, Fergus Crawley. So you're a former powerlifter turned hybrid athlete, speaking uh, in both I'm going to start that one again, actually. Specialising was the word, so I'm going to go that one again. So welcome to another episode of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my special guest today, Fergus Crawley. So Fergus, you're a former powerlifter turned hybrid athlete, specialising in both strength and endurance. He performs endurance challenges for charities, including leading men's health charity, Movember, which you've raised over £100,000 for. First off the bat, congratulations on the engagement. Thank you very much. Very recent at this point, isn't it? Because we are recording on, well, I've lost track of time, actually, a few days off, 15th of December. So yeah, three days ago, three days ago. 
<laughs> Talk us through it a little bit. <laughs> so we went to a sort of golf estate in East Lothian, which I've been going to with my family for years and years. We went there for Erin's birthday in January 2020, just before things went a little bit south, and just mm. had a really good time. So for a while, I've been thinking about how we can just incorporate somewhere that we both enjoy, both have some sort of sentimental attachment to, and decided to to make it there. So booked it four or five months ago with the intention of talking a lot of rubbish around the dates I had planned for the proposal with the <laughs> assumption that she assumed it would not be on my birthday that I asked. So it was a bit of a smoke and mirrors okay. for months. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then um, it turned out to be the case. So she got to choose the ring, so I didn't get that wrong. Um, but I got to choose the date and the setting. So a bit of a compromise, which I think uh, worked out well. So yeah, on the 12th, just went out for dinner and then went back to accommodation and had the dogs in the accommodation upon arrival. So the whole gang was there. And, awesome. uh, and and that was it. So, yeah, no, very pleased, very pleased. And she said yes. She did, she did. I actually had to double-check because <laughs> she just didn't didn't respond. But I think when, when we've gone and she's chosen the ring, I think uh, had she said no, it would have been an, a very elaborate... very elaborate, grab. Yeah, a big prank, <laughs> big prank from her if that was the case. Yeah, that's the, way, the reason I asked that because I, I remember when I asked my wife, girlfriend back then, was um, she literally asked me, you know, there was, there was just silence and then she asked me to repeat the question. So it was just like, that. right, okay, I'll just double check with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, everything went, well, pretty much to plan, other than the fact, as we discussed off screen beforehand, is um, the following day we both got struck with pretty vicious food poisoning. So swings and roundabouts, but <laughs> just... Ying and the yang, yeah. Yeah, just, just happy that we got the engagement done on the day before things went uh, a little bit awry. Good man. Well done. Well done. Um, so interested to know, to start with Fergus, what inspired you to to want to uh, actually raise money for a charity in the first place and, and why Movember um, in particular? Yep. So I'll try and be as concise as I can, as there's a tendency for me to over-contextualize, shall we say, on this one. But long story short, I was a very, very keen rugby player up until I was 18, where I got knocked out three times in four weeks, which puts a swift, swift full stop at the end of any sort of rugby career, as I was told that I'd never be able to play contact sport again. So very quickly, a <clears throat> excuse me, very quickly a gap formed in my day-to-day -day existence as my Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday training, socializing experience with the lads, time getting outdoors in the rain and the cold growing up in Scotland, etc., was all taken away. So I had to fill that gap and sort of found it with health and fitness. But that that led me on a path where I became quite academic and was trying to get into Oxford for um, my further education. Didn't get in after the interview stage, so I ended up going to Durham, where I quickly found myself in a situation where I just, I, honestly, I just think I was dealt a bit of a bit bad hand in the sense that my halls of residence were predominantly Chinese postgraduates just because of the way that I, it was like I'd been an anomaly in the data and they just chucked me in with, mm. with, with a, a sort of preset, strangely segregated setup, but why ever they did that, I don't know, but I was, I was in the middle of it. My course, I actually chose to study theology and religion to give me a better chance of getting into Oxford, not because it was what I wanted to study. So mm -hmm. my course was about 85% scripture union, all lovely people, but they very much had their community, their sense of purpose, their their life outside of the course. And as a agnostic, I didn't fit into that. So quickly found that my course wasn't going to be a source of friendships. 
And then I'd translated that love for the health and fitness into powerlifting. <clears throat> Excuse me. And powerlifting was not a sport that Darren catered for. So the three pillars of my existence, which were accommodation, course, and sport, none of which had yielded any sort of friendship. So I very quickly found myself a young, sociable man who previously had had no, no issue whatsoever getting on with people, spending time with people, having open conversations, etc., completely on my own with no real friends, I, I think is the best way of putting it. Mm. And because of that expectation, because of that, you are this person, you've worked hard for this mentality, I just kind of sat back on the situation and felt a bit hard done by because I'd worked so hard. You didn't deserve this. Other people were at different universities having a great time. This isn't fair. You'll, this will just sort itself out all these obvious things. And because I was ashamed of the fact that things weren't going to plan, I somehow started to label myself a bit of a failure that started to spiral a bit out of control. And without painting too many details between then and then sort of now, the, Beginning of my depression was retrospectively diagnosed as October 2014, which was when I started university. And then that got steadily worse through to May of 2016, where May of 2016, I was actually living in Newcastle in my second year because I just wanted to be around people I knew. So I was living with people from my previous school in Edinburgh because the friends I did make in Durham eventually had already signed for a house in second year. Anyone that knows university system in the UK will know how yeah. utterly ridiculous and fast this all happens. <laughs> so I a week went by in the exam period of 2016 where I realized I'd gone an entire week, Sunday to Sunday, without saying another word out loud to another human being. So other than a Tesco cashier or a barista or, or something like that. So there was no tangible human interaction that I'd had beyond the transactional value, put it that way. Mm. and at that moment things started to spiral and in my memory it all becomes a bit blurry but ultimately early may of 2016 i attempted suicide and what was horrifying to reflect upon recently well it was um it was actually world suicide prevention day in 2020 i took the decision to dig back into my sort of whatsapps and messages and emails around the day itself which had previously been something that i thought would be of no benefit yeah, And I did that in quite a proud way, not in a proud way, in the sense that I was completely comfortable with the situation, but acknowledged, actually, you were putting this off because it's a bit of an ugly situation. So went back and found out that the last message that my mom had sent to our family WhatsApp group had been an article saying that a young girl had died because of a, um, some, a contaminated curry, so there were peanuts in it, and she was sending it over to basically say, be careful because I too am allergic to peanuts. Right. So she sent a message saying, look, Basically, to paraphrase, I care about you. Please be safe. Mm. And then I kind of swatted off, being like, oh, yeah, thanks. I'll make sure to be careful. And then she said, how's life with the boys? And my, my response was, I'm fine, full stop. How's life with everyone else? And two hours later, I attempted suicide. So help wow. was in front of me. Yeah, Help was present. Help was available. But I chose to ignore it out of perpetualizing, uh, sorry, perpetuating the masculine sort of traditional norms that go with being a man, the expectations I had of myself, the fact that if I was rendered as vulnerable, I would be rendered as weak. If I was exposing myself as feeling this way, I'd be less of a man. I'd be not the Fergus that this person knew. I'd be letting down the expectations of me academically. It was all these things, all these things. And 
Between then and 2018, I basically started to recover. I got a message from one of my best friends three days after my suicide attempt saying, I'm getting a puppy from this litter next week. You in? He was fully, fully taking the piss, knowing that I was on a student budget and unable to afford a French bulldog. (laughs) But he was basically just, he was basically just, uh, yeah, completely unaware of the fact that I've been suffering because I've done a very good job of keeping this to myself. But Right. He, he, I think he was basically just being like, Haha, I'm getting a dog, you're not. But in a sort of nice, that's how we kind of banter with each other kind of way. And then in the back of my head, when I got that message, I immediately thought, yes, because that was responsibility, that was structure, that was mm. a companion and a heartbeat, most importantly. So two weeks later, I was on the train back from Fife to Newcastle with a 14-week-old French bulldog sitting next to me on the train. <laughs> and slowly but surely, he allowed me to verbalize and vocalize things that I hadn't previously even considered internally. So once I was able to do that, I was able to process the previous two years. I was able to process how I've been feeling about things and be able to process the whole experience. And slowly but surely, I don't know, reclaimed my sense of direction in some in some regard but it was a new sense of direction i think that's important and we'll come back to that but the the new sense of direction was for for me was just to be happy just to enjoy being happy again so for the next 18 months to two years that's what i did my third year at university was great i lived with those friends from durham that i referenced previously because by the time third year came around it was soon enough to be able to live with them because um yeah the the timelines matched up for once Mm -hmm. uh then three so on the friday i graduated from durham and on the Saturday, I started a full-time job in London. So shortest summer holidays ever. But yeah. I, um, I started a grad job and I was with them for just over 18 months before one day, I just felt myself slipping back into a sense of depression, immediately defaulted to the, oh, just crack on, Fergus. Yeah. And then argued with myself internally, being like, no, hmm. you've been here before what was missing last time what was going wrong last time okay last time you're missing a sense of fulfillment a sense of purpose you didn't feel that you were going in the right direction you weren't spending enough time with people you're spending spending plenty of time with people so therefore logic means that you're missing a sense of fulfillment my job wasn't fulfilling and i had nothing outside of that so i then took the decision to take what i was good at which was at the time squatting. I'd done my last powerlifting competition in 2017. I'd squatted 272.5 kilos in the gym and 260 kilos in a competition. Wow. I thought, okay, squatting, that's what you're good at. Let's find something there. And then did a bit of digging on charities and thought cancer research, people do stuff for that. Maybe I can do stuff for that, but it doesn't really mean anything to me. And then thought, oh, November, I've done a bit with them for rugby in the past. There's kind of the culty status, the, mo- the moustache is funny. Mm. they've got motorbikes they've got guitars it's kind of a bit cooler than other charities <laughs> and i think in the back of my head i saw all that coolness and the cult status because november is the only charity in the world with cult status mm. as smoke and mirrors for the subject matter because whilst i had become comfortable with my own experience i hadn't yet shared that publicly with anyone outside of my mum and dad quite literally um really so, nobody nobody else no, and that only came out of uh, my brother as well. Right. But that only came out of necessity because my mum had never wanted a dog. And then the Christmas of 2016, I appeared at the house with a dog. So 
the elephant or French bulldog in the room had to be confronted, really. <laughs> and um, I then explained to them sort of why he was there and what he'd done as part of my existence. So mm. they knew, but and that had allowed me to sort of protest and be happy and move on in some sense, but it hadn't allowed me to unpack no. and, and truly, truly decipher what it means for me moving forwards. So I looked at the statistics around male suicide and mental health and found that 500,000 men die by suicide annually around the world and then did some maths and thought, I'm going to try and squat 500,000 kilos in 24 hours, obviously. <laughs> um, so basically, I, I then just I then just thought, you know what, let's just chuck the kitchen sink at this because it gave me a real creative expression from the word go because I was a compl- this was completely there was no blueprint for this I didn't think I didn't go onto YouTube and be like how do you start a charity campaign none of that it was just complete make it up as you go along right and phone November explain what I was hoping to do they put me in touch with a few people gave me a bit of help all this stuff and then after putting it out on my personal social media which was just like a thousand Instagram followers and 1200 friends on facebook or something so just a normal person so yeah, yeah. Accounts. yeah it was um so well received from my immediate social circles in terms of i'm so glad that you're doing this for men's mental health and suicide prevention this doesn't get spoken about enough i know a few people have suffered etc etc mm. there were so many more people that were talking about it with me openly than i expected it actually made me start to think maybe maybe fergus you're not completely unique in feeling the way that you did and maybe you're not the weird one here. Maybe you're just one of many. Mm. And ultimately, there are enough of those messages and enough people giving me confidence in the cause to say publicly on those same social media accounts, et cetera, et cetera. And then via some mainstream media, via Movember's PR, et cetera, I'm Fergus. I'm doing this because I attempted suicide in 2016, really. And then from that point onwards, I've seen the tangible impact that these charitable causes, the community funding from November, the process of raising money, the process of having conversations, I've seen the tangible impact that has. Mm. And inspiration isn't required for me anymore because it's it's the evidence is there and the evidence is very, very tangible. So for me, it's more of an opportunity that is inspiring because it's if it saves one life, which I know it has, then yeah. it's all worth it. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stop because had I had I had someone that I could have faith in in the hope that I can give faith to others when I was suffering, I know that things would have been different. How different? I don't know. Maybe I would have mm. stopped suffering depression a year beforehand. Maybe I wouldn't have attempted suicide. I can't give you an answer. Yeah. But I just know the way I felt at the time, had I had not a role model, but had I had somebody I could relate to that made me feel less unique and less alone. I would have taken the steps necessary to move forwards again sooner. Mm. I think I was first became aware of November um, through rugby, funnily enough. I'm, I'm a big rugby fan. I used to play rugby up until I was 30. <laughs> um, still go back to Cardiff uh, to watch the autumn games in the Six Nations, etc. And I think it was just aware of it, seeing like a load of one of the teams, and it was Australia or England, but literally everybody rocking like a different moustache or some kind of like fa- facial hair you know um do you think you see people now you hear people now i've interviewed like the likes of james haskell you've got like dylan hartley speaking out about their own personal struggles with with mental health and um you know something again that's gotten a lot of attention recently has been um concussion uh cte things like that do you think 
something like the pandemic, which you and I were talking about off air before, has, has highlighted this? Or do you think people are genuinely more comfortable talking about things like this compared to, say, you were back in, uh, you know, 2014, etc.? I think what the pandemic's done is help people understand the difference between the the language around mental health, because for so long people would refer to mental health as mental illness or mm, yes, for example, mental health is something you have or you don't in the sense of oh, they, they suffer with, with mental health. No, they suffer with their mental health. It, it, the nuances of language over time have changed. And I think the pandemic's helped people understand that we all, oh, bins are going out behind me. Sorry. We all suffer with, life in general and we all sit on a scale mm. those bottles are very loud apologies i'll pause <laughs> so good we all sit on a scale whereby we are mentally healthy or mentally unhealthy and in our day-to-day existence we might be more volatile to go one way or the other in the same way that if we have dominoes seven days a week, we're going to start to slip towards the physically unhealthy side of things and that'll contribute to the mentally unhealthy side of things as well. If you've broken your leg, you're going to be very far down on the physically unhealthy side of things. But it's a case of, I think the pandemic has provided enough adversity and volatility for people to start to realize that we are all susceptible to sliding along that scale. I know by the nature of my personality, I'm very volatile to it because I'm very self-critical. I'm very ambitious. I'm very driven. I'm very fast-moving, very intense, and that means that I'm going to swing one way or the other. But what I've learned through my experiences is how much better I can manage that by being analytical and understanding the way in which I respond and interact with certain things day to day. So for me, that means redefining what success means to me and how I want to live my life. So previously, it was the usual stuff. It was the grades I could get, the university I could go to, the job that would get me, the car that would get me, the wife that would get me, the cup, the, the house, the holidays, all that traditional rubbish. Mm. Whereas now, it's it's how much time can I spend doing the things that I enjoy with the people I enjoy doing them with, plain and simple. And it's it's gone from completely black and white to very gray because the black and white metrics for success meant it was very, very easy for me to label myself a failure or a success. And with such harsh metrics, it's very hard to label yourself a success because one deviation from that plan means that you're failing. And if you're failing, you'll then start to perpetuate that negative thought process and things will spiral south. So I think the pandemic for others has highlighted some things in their life that they might not have been aware were having such an impact on them or have highlighted some things that are more important to them than they realized or highlighted some coping mechanisms that they didn't realize were needed to help them cope on a daily basis. But I think the majority of people that haven't suffered with mental illness prior to the pandemic now have more of an understanding of actually the inputs to what negative mental health can ultimately develop into, which is some form of mental illness. And I mean, it's it's not been an easy ride, the, 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 the sort of adversity and challenge and existential dread that's gone with the pandemic and every briefing and everything is something that I think we all we've all struggled with in some regard and the more that we explore new things explore how we interact with information explore the decisions we make around what we do at the weekends the hobbies that we have the people we spend time with I think the more we can refine the formula for our our optimal and most stable position on that scale that I referred to. So for me, I know that exercise, dog walks, 
reading, nutrition, sleep quality, all these sort of traditional things that are sort of coined as mental health strategies in some way. For me, I refer to them as anchors. Yeah. And the more the more anchors I have, the less I'm going to get knocked for six when things go badly. But, mm. for example, I have had a few days off the past couple of days. Well, I've tried to. And amidst those few days off, I've had food poisoning. I've had to chase people for invoices to a significant amount of money out of my sort of monthly income, which is stress. And it's stress that was on top of time that I'd factored in for taking time off. I've not been training because I've been having a few days off after a big weekend of training. I've not been working, which means that I feel like I'm standing still. So all of a sudden, I've put a lot of my anchors to the side for only a few days, but I've still, I've chosen to put them to the side for a few days. Mm. And then yesterday, when there were a few changes in terms of the guidelines and situational considerations for, for COVID in Scotland and things, it hit me a lot harder than it would have done previously. And I was confused as to why I was so sad and angry at the fact that things were going south again when previously I would have just been confident in my anchors and confident in myself to move forwards. But mm. it just goes to show that I, I, I know what my anchors are and I have them in my life day to day for a reason. So whilst, yeah, it's essential for me to take time off from them, they are there for a reason. While some people might view training as a chore, for me, it's an essential part of my day-to-day -day existence. So yeah. I think for me, it's, it's understanding that how I spend my time off is, is not just going the complete opposite direction. It's not going all-inclusive when you've been non-inclusive for a while and at the buffet and <laughs> things like that. It's, um, yeah. It was just fascinating for me to, to, to sort of sit back and, and think, why are you feeling like this? Oh, right. Maybe it's because you've had a few days where you've kind of, you've just fully switched off. But fully switching off means that those anchors have been loosened a little bit, which means that when things go, it, it just means that it had more of an impact. So the lesson for that for me is it just reinforces how important they are for me to keep them consistent. That's the buzzword that really, really runs as the DNA throughout all of this. Mm. And the more that I have, the the more, the, the more genuine anchors I have, because I'm, I'm saying things here that might might not apply to you and what applies to you might not apply to me. And I've only got here through a self-explorative process. Mm -hmm. A suicide attempt has been a fundamental part of that, but we don't need to get to that stage to be able to learn this. It's trying new things, spending time with new people, exploring new avenues. I used to think that meditation and journaling were the most ridiculous concepts in, in the world. And now if I don't scribble out and journal my day before I get started, it's chaos. I can't mm -hmm. stick to timings. If things aren't in my Outlook calendar, I miss them. It's just, it's just chaos. So it just goes to show that trying new things is really the thread that runs through this. And you might find that something's very useful for you. You might find it's absolutely useless, but you've tried it and you'll then know, which means that you can implement more of these things on a day-to-day -day basis to keep you more rock solid in the middle of that, that scale that I referred to before. So that if things like the pandemic do worsen, if you receive some bad news, if you break up with your other half, if your parents have an argument that ripples down to you, if you get dragged into some work stuff at the weekend that really winds you up, if you're meant to be spending the time with the kids, whatever it is, then it means it'll have less of an impact on you because you've got more things keeping you grounded. And I think that's an ever-evolving process. I'm not pretending like I've sorted it for myself moving on. Yeah. All it means is I'm aware of what's useful for me now, I acknowledge that that will evolve, that will change. But the key thing is I'm always open-minded and aware of how I interact with things, how things make me feel, and therefore how do I adjust my day-to-day -day actions, decisions, and processes to best support my own mental health.
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I didn't. That's that's what I have, but I didn't know that term anchors. But that's exactly right. And I think, like for me personally, I think for a lot of people, what you know, one of the positives <coughs> to come out of the pandemic has been to to reflect back on what you actually love doing and to do more of it. You know, why wouldn't you do it? But when I actually looked at something like that, I was just doing. Okay, what's my favorite thing I do in the world? Snowboarding. Alex, you haven't been snowboarding for two years. How can you say it's the most favorite thing you do? Okay, so we're going on holiday. We're taking the family. We're all going snowboarding. I'm getting my girls skiing. Da, 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 da. And then I just kept trying different things. So now that you've classed them as anchors, there's definitely anchors in my life. I've, I tried swimming in the sea. I now do that every day. And we have a gang of about 10 of us that goes in at Sandbanks here in, in Pool in Dorset. And it's bloody cold at the moment. But we carried on going through the winter. And I know that if I don't do that now for one day, I feel completely different. My day is screwed completely because I haven't yep. got that. And another one is long distance running. I literally turned yep. from hating running my entire adult life to running a 5K that my wife persuaded me to do to then in five weeks running my first marathon on my own because of the pandemic. But now I've got a a, a love of long distance running and I, and I literally take myself on you know into the forest and go trail running. But I just feel different if I don't do these things. But those are clearly things that keep me grounded and give me the headspace that create positive thoughts and enable me to be productive in, in my personal and my business life. But that's, that's exactly it. And I think that the easier thing to do as human beings is default to, I'm just having a bad day. But like yeah. you, I know, I mean, for me, I, I present myself as a, as a pretty infallible, resilient bloke online because there's a lot of things I do that fall into that category. But I'm very keen to make sure from an authentic point of view that that's it's it's a constant battle for me to be able to do these things. I'm just at a level where the battle's less frequent or I'm better at winning winning those battles. So mm. I know just how valuable doing my training first thing in the morning is because it sets me up for the rest of the day. When I finish a work day at 5, 6, 30, whatever it ends up being, I'm so much more invigorated knowing that I don't need to then go home and, and train. I mean, to be fair, Monday through Thursdays for the past six months have been double training days for me, so I don't really have a choice. But if I've got a single training day that I wake up and feel, oh, you know, I'm just getting an hour extra sleep, or why don't you just do it in the afternoon when you've got some food in you? I feel a bit more sluggish the rest of the day. I get to the training in the evening, and I like, sit around for a bit in my clothes, like, oh, mm-hmm. scrolling, just doing nothing, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to not do it, but then I've just wasted an hour waiting to do it because I didn't want to do it, knowing I should have done it in the morning. But I still sometimes make that decision not to do it in the morning just because the human being in me defaults to you can mm-hmm. do it later, so it's fine. But even though I know how beneficial it is for me to do it first thing in the morning, so I don't ever want to pretend like the way that I do things is something that I'm completely, completely resilient against because I know for people hearing this that might find it impossible to try new things and might think it's very difficult to, to yeah. start doing things outside of your comfort zone my comfort zone is ever evolving. Your comfort zone will always be relative to the exposure to things that you have. But the main thing, as you've just said, is when you feel a certain way, you can be quite analytical and work backwards about why you might feel that way. So for you, you might have a dreadful day that when you actually reflect on it and you think, actually, nothing really that bad's happened today. Why do I feel this way? Exactly. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't swim this morning. That might be it. And then if you mm. swim five days in a row and you don't have a bad day, you can start to piece together, actually, maybe this is something that I need to make sure that I'm always doing. So I don't yeah. want to make it seem like we should overanalyze our lives to the point of being 
data processors on a day-to-day -day basis because I have no understanding of how to do any of that. I'm very much words, not numbers. But I, I just try and reflect really quite vigorously on the way in which I interact with the decisions that I make and then try, try, don't always, it's not always do. Most of the time it's, it's try and succeed, but sometimes what we try and not quite succeed straight away for me is try and action those things to make sure that they become strategies and processes rather than just snap decisions. And, and what do you do? Because this is, this is where I struggle is when I then have to travel, like I'll go to London and we'll make a podcast for somebody or I'll go and interview someone for my own podcast. Everything kind of goes out the window and then you end up like beating yourself up about the fact that you, you didn't. And I was like doing like double training days as well. And it was just like that. Oh, for God's sake. And you get yourself so wound up about it. But do you have like a, a mini version, a light version of that or something like that? So the way that, well, the way that I train, the way that I train athletes and the way that I've been trained by my coach for the past four or five years is we are, we are basically analyzing day by day based on the relative outputs that we have to give on that day. So if you are working a 15, 16 hour day, it's unreasonable and illogical to expect you to then do a three-hour turbo trainer session because you're going to be missing sleep and accumulating additional stress as a result of that. So London, for me, is a pain in the arse because yeah. it's about 30 quid a day pass to lift, which is just absurd. Swimming pools are impossible to come by, really, because not if you find one, then you need to navigate timetabling for family swims and aquafit classes and all this stuff what bikes tend to not be calibrated i've been to a million and one nuffields around london and one can be 400 watts for 90 rpm at like rp6 and then the next one can be 25 watts at the same for it's just horrendous so there's no real data there so for me if i know i'm going to london i'll either a rigorously plan ahead in terms of what i know what session i'm going to have on a monday therefore i will do my four by one k at battersea park yeah. But I'm not going to lift that day because I'm not spending 30 quid to do on a, to um, work in a day pass. So I'll just factor that in for the rest of the week or just acknowledge that due to the way that my week has unfolded, the stress that I'm accumulating, the demands on my body physiologically from just traveling, stressing about figuring this out, I'm better off not training at all because our body doesn't really know the difference between one stressor and another. All it does is accumulate stress. And then the response from that stress over time is the adaptation that we accumulate. So we are with our training, myself and Johnny with Omnia Performance. We are as much stressor managers as we are programming people. So if somebody comes to us and says, "I've had a brutal day with work," then we'll say, "You know what? Just just make your tempo run today, a real easy, low intensity, steady state run for half an hour, just so you're moving for some blood flow rather than having any intensity." Because stress stacked on top of stress equals more stress for no real return. So mm -hmm. traveling. Traveling around most of the UK is pretty workable for me because I've now got such a variety of training methods. If I'm in triathlon mode, the bike, difficult. Because when, when, you're, when you're properly locked in on a bike fit, even a watt bike that's calibrated won't really do the job because you're going to be in a different position. You're going to be on a different saddle. Everything's going to be out of, out of whack. So then it's a case of, right, do I just sub in a 30 minute this, 30 minute that? Do yeah. I just do my training here? Swimming's difficult in London. Swimming elsewhere, I found okay, to be fair. Um, but I think rigorously planning ahead is the main thing and being realistic about what you can achieve in a day. If the yeah. plan said, whilst you were at home, you are doing a morning swim and an evening run, that plan is accounting for the fact that you are you are at home. 
So the plan then needs to be reworked. This is where I went wrong in the past as a younger man is that I, I set a plan and then the plan owned me rather than the other way around. Yeah. So let you, you, if you create the plan, you own the plan. You, you, you are the one that navigates the obstacles that come with it. So it's a case of, I think planning ahead phase one, two is then acknowledging what's realistic. And then three is actioning accordingly so that you have a new plan, which means that when it comes to it, you aren't then going to be kicking yourself about missing something because you haven't actually missed anything because you've reworked it ahead of time. But if you're, if you get to 6 p.m. and you finish, you're like, right, I need to find a swimming pool, you'll quickly realize there aren't any swimming pools you're going to find because you can't make it work like that in London. So yeah. I, I've been similar recently. Um, I thought I'd found one when I was down in London a few weeks ago for the November long lunch, funnily enough, and then turned up, got up at 6 to go and then found out that they didn't have any swimming lanes open because it was, uh, it was a, there was a class on. And it was like, well... That's it. I'm turning around and going home now. So even though I planned, but because I've had this, had enough exposure to this, it was kind of, uh, it is what it is. You've, yeah, you've yeah, done yeah. best, so you can't really be hard on yourself. And if you are being hard on yourself, then it's actually just quite self-destructive, which I know is yeah. easier said than done because mm. being self-destructive is something I'm very good at in the past. And I know exactly how we can get there. But mm. I think um, being neutral in the way that you approach things is very key as well, because I don't think you could be, being overly positive is is not necessarily always the right thing to do. It is what it is. Is actually quite a good way to approach life because it means that you're neutral about confronting what's in front of you and then making decisions that follow rather than thinking about what could have been or what should have been and then trying to make decisions that aren't there to be made. So mm. I think, um, yeah, the short answer is plan ahead, rework the plan based on what's realistic, and then you can go into the travel with confidence. And sometimes things might not be the information online might not be available to give you the informed decision that you need to make, but yeah. that's not, that's not your fault. There's nothing you can do about that. So you need to need to gather as much as you can. So there's no wiggle room for you to be hard on yourself, I think is the, uh, the crux of it. It's good. No, appreciate it. Um, and I'd like to chat a little bit about um, move away from powerlifting for you. Why, why did you do that? And tell me a little bit about what does, um, being a hybrid athlete, what does the day-to-day look for you? Uh, what kind of challenges have you have you got there? Yeah, so power thing for me was, <clears throat> excuse me, if it sounds like I'm breathing really badly, I am, by the way, since my food poisoning, my asthma has flared up massively, so I am struggling right. to breathe effectively, which is funny for an endurance athlete who's <laughs> sounding like he can't breathe. But um, the, the challenges with power thing were that I, when did I start? So it was 2013 post, post rugby concussions. So 2013 to 2017 was sort of the peak of my powerlifting career and fell in love with it quite quickly. I'd always been strong as a kid. I was about 102 kilos at 15 um, playing back row rugby. I was, I was an excellent rugby player because physics was on my side and then physics caught up and it turned out I was, I was an average rugby player really. Um, (laughs) So that strength then quickly translated into a barbell. I met a good friend of mine, Andy Smith, who sort of, helped really calibrate that strength training into a targeted focus, which was the power thing side of things. And then did my first, I did my first competition with one federation in 2013. Didn't really enjoy it because they were very high and mighty. Didn't play any music sticklers for the rules, not a very good community, not very inspiring and thought I didn't really enjoy that. I'm not going to come back. And then Matt Andy, who sort of convinced me to try it again with a different federation 
And it turned out to be much more fun that way. There were specialist barbells, knee wraps, heavy metal music and stuff like that. I thought, this is all right. This is all right. Um, but the challenge with that federation was it was non-drug tested. So the I went into it at 18 years old, assuming nobody my age would be on drugs. And that was that was the case. And then basically acknowledge I enjoy this more than the other federation. So I don't really care how I compete. I don't really, I'm here to enjoy it rather than be competitive. So just acknowledge that's the case. Got through two years, a world championships, two European championships. And then once I became a junior, which is the 20 to 23 year old category, I suddenly wasn't as strong anymore, put it that way. Um, so then having thought for a while, I didn't care about where I've been placing. I'd got bronze at the European Championships previously. I'd won gold at the World Championships previously, but that was quite a small actually contingent of people that made it over there because that was in Las Vegas. Suddenly, when I became very non-competitive, I started to honestly not enjoy that much anymore without really... I didn't I didn't think I'd care, but I, I kind of did. Not in a bitter way, because I knew, I knew I was competing in a, in a federation that was non-tested. So that was my decision. Um, but then I just kind of trained in the gym a little bit for a while, just got strong, just sort of... It was still very much a part of my life whilst I was in London. So I was traveling an hour each way whilst when I moved to London to get to a gym that had all the specialist kit. I had good friends there. I had a lot of... Um, it, it was a real focus of my life and I, I did enjoy it. But then I did my last competition in 2017, which was the British Championships. I'd jumped through hoops to get all my training in. I'd been training on three or four pints sometimes because I worked for a major brewer at the time. And a part of the job was you were opening bars with sort of new accounts and things. And it, like a couple of pints when working for Heineken was like nine. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so, so it got to the point where I was doing my upper body session on two pints and just I, do, I was doing anything to make it work. Um, I know the obvious thing would have been don't drink, Fergus, but yeah. I was a young, impressionable child and actually quickly found out that I could train quite effectively on two pints, which is very strange. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not something I'd recommend people try, but it, no. it worked. It worked. Um, yeah. And then, but again, I think the sign with that really was that the social element I enjoyed more than I did the powerlifting. So mm. um, 2017, finished my last competition, and I was just overwhelmed with a sense of, meh, meh. <laughs> like I, I'd, I'd done everything I could to gain every kilo I could. I was strong, but I wasn't that strong in the grand scheme of things relative to everyone else for my weight class, et cetera, et cetera, and I hadn't enjoyed it. So at that point, I decided, you know what? Mm. you're done with this for a while maybe just training the gym enjoy it for a little bit did a bit more bodybuilding style training stayed around the sort of 9800 kilo mark and i was just i was just big and in good shape and quite strong but then started to get a bit bored of training that way and then this was all around when i started to feel like i was slipping back towards depression and then basically started to transition to the hybrid style of things again I say again, because when I started training post-rugby, my style of training was very much do everything. Um, I wasn't doing it that effectively, but I enjoyed doing it that way. So I did that for about a year before the power thing started. And then 2018, started incorporating longer runs, building my engine, training this way, that way, building in all that stuff. And then it's kind of everything since then has been the hybrid style of things, really. But what me and my brother have a very, very good ability to do we're not necessarily excellent at any one thing. He's excellent at cricket. That's a skill-based sport. Mm. But I think in terms of genetic predisposition, we are both pretty strong 
but not otherworldly strong by any means, but we're both very, very gifted with the ability to adapt quickly to new demands. So that's where I've been able to excel quite a lot in new skills, new things, new challenges, and why I've worked in some some decent hybrid abilities along the way. Um, and I think testament to the, the strength stuff is it's really given me a good base to move forwards with. I managed to hold on quite a lot of it, not all of it, obviously, because I'm sort of eight kilos lighter and training in a different way, but... The, the long story short, I fell out of love with powerlifting for, for sort of two principal reasons. One, I kind of stopped enjoying it. Two, I stopped being competitive because of the circumstances, circumstances that I was aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, but the expiry date was sooner than I expected it to be, put it that way. So then the challenges of the day-to-day hybrid stuff is just the sheer volume, triathlon especially. Triathlon is antisocial at the best of times, but when you're chucking in other disciplines as well, uh, my training volume can be up to sort of 20, 22 hours a week, which is on top of full-time work and trying to exist is quite, quite tough, but it's um, Saturdays for me for the past four years have become my long intense, low intensity, steady state days. So if somebody asked me, like, it's funny, I've been indoctrinated into it to the point where I forget that other people aren't. So if somebody asks what you're doing on a Friday night, I'm like, I'm obviously preparing my bike for my four hour brick ride on Saturday. Um, (laughs) And I'll wait, no, only why, why would you know that? Um, but Saturdays for me are my, my sort of longest days. But the the challenges really are in in managing that from a – I mean, there's a lot of kit involved, a lot of admin involved. But then the training stuff is very much – there's a very fine balance between doing too much and doing doing uh, doing enough. And that's yeah. where we sort of specialize and work together, my coach and I, for, for ourselves and with others on, on finding that balance because – when you're working across disciplines, you can't just take 100% of one program and 100% of another because that's 200% and that doesn't work mathematically. So what you need to do is you need to maximize the percentage that is being devoted to each discipline to basically find the minimum effective dose for the maximum maximum effective return and then really nail that formula over time. But the difficult thing is that everybody's formula is different because we all respond differently to intensity, we all respond differently to volume, we all respond differently to certain resistance movements, etc., etc., etc. I can get away with a low amount of top-end strength work to keep my top-end strength. But then again, if I'm not doing the assistance work, I'll lose muscle mass when the endurance volume goes up to some degree. Some yeah. people need to do a serious amount of top-end strength work to keep the top-end strength. Some people can get away with no intensity work to get faster on a bike. Some people need to do nothing but intensity work to get faster on a bike. It, it's a very, very nuanced formula. And that's why I enjoy figuring it out for people and for myself, because it's a, it's an ever evolving challenge and it's an ever evolving challenge that allows me to go to new gyms and keep up with the big boys. It allows me to explore beautiful parts of the world, beautiful parts of Scotland, beautiful parts of England, Wales, etc. on my bike, on my feet, in the hills. It, just allows me to kind of do a lot of the things I enjoy without worrying about the ramifications. Whereas when I was powerlifting, I stopped playing golf because I, as somebody who enjoyed playing golf, might I add, because I was worried about the volume of steps that it would accumulate and how that would impact my heavy lower body days. So I was, I stopped doing the things that I enjoyed for a sport that I didn't enjoy doing because of the principle of it. And that, that was a big shift change in my perspective and mindset that, I've kind of applied to the rest of my life, really. It comes back to the anchor discussion in that I'm analytical in how I interact with my decision-making, how things make me feel, and the logic of a situation, and then I'll apply learnings off the back of that. 
And just uh, to, to finish up, we're aware of the time and appreciate you taking a, an hour out of uh, your day, especially what you've been through the last couple of days. But um, just to finish up, you know, if kind of maybe going back to the theme with the anchors, you know, if people want to be healthy, they can they can go to the gym, they can eat nutritious food, drink lots of water, take vitamins, etc. But if you want a healthy mind and you're constantly having negative thoughts, what would your advice be to somebody listening to this, folks? I think first things first is, as hard as it may seem, is to reach out to somebody, whether that is someone close to you, friend, a family member, a colleague. If that doesn't feel comfortable, there are lots of amazing resources in the UK that you can access. So Calm, I've got a fantastic hotline. Samaritans specialize in suicidal thoughts. Mind, have access. Movember, have a conversations feature. There's lots of, lots of facilities online to cater for that. And whilst it might seem trite to phone a helpline and that might seem very formal, it's actually the opposite because it gives you an open experience conversation and somebody to, to sort of just bounce your thoughts and feelings off. And I found that bouncing those thoughts and feelings around can be a fantastic step one to help you better understand what to do next. So if you're thinking, oh, Fergus, that all sounds well and good, but there's no possible way I can talk to anyone close to me. I know exactly how that feels. So first thing to do, I think, would be to try and find a method of communication in which you can vocalize the way that you're feeling. That might be a journal. That might be a mirror. For me, it was a dog. So I'm not saying it needs to be an open psychoanalytical conversation. It just needs to be you being honest and reflective about the way that you're feeling. So whatever you feel most comfortable, however you feel most comfortable to do that, I think vocalize it first of all. Then if you can get that far, I'd, I'd try and encourage you to analyze those thoughts and feelings a bit to determine what needs to be done next. If you find out that you're actually you're not enjoying your job too much. I'd encourage you to try some new things to find some fulfillment outside of work. If you feel like you're missing your friends and family, then I'd encourage you to find time to see your friends and family. If you are not enjoying your powerlifting anymore, for example, then I'd encourage you to try some sort of new sport or activity. And whilst these changes might seem overly significant or challenging when you're in that headspace, they can reap enormous rewards that will open you up for a lot of things in the rest of your life. So the other thing as well is to remind yourself that no one feeling lasts forever, whether good or bad. So having faith in the fact that you won't continue to feel like this forever is something that I'm much better at doing now. And also when I'm having a really good time, I know that it's not going to stay like that. So mm. the the main thing would be vocalize, then I'd say contextualize, then action, and then reflect and stay stay open and community, communicative with those around you because the worst thing that we can do is go through these these negative cycles of feeling dreadful, opening up, fixing it a little bit, and then rinse and repeat because then that's just a negative peak and trough that we want to avoid. It's very much a staying in the middle, acknowledging there'll be slight deviations on that on that sort of trend, but knowing who you can rely upon when you go down and acknowledging that when things go up and things are feeling fantastic, life likes to sort of punch us in the gut sometimes. So it's uh, it's acknowledging that things will change, but finding your own anchors, exploring your own anchors and being analytical with your decision-making and how things make you feel over time so that you can better understand what is important for you so that you can navigate and manage those peaks and troughs a little bit better. Mm, no, I appreciate that. And um, for you, looking at 2022, um, what's your biggest challenge other than um, arranging a wedding, perhaps? Yeah, it's probably not going to be 2022, you know. I think uh, the waiting list is... Is oh, about, I bet. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit ridiculous, but um, mm. 
Well, there is one very large interactive challenge that is currently being worked on and has be, been being worked on for almost 12 months. However, current circumstances might change the dates of which that is happening. So mm. hopefully at some point next year, I will be doing the world's, the UK's, if not the world's, yeah, most interactive mental health movement slash fitness focused project that has ever been done before. But the current circumstances might dictate that that happens later on because it's not worth doing in my mind if it can't be done in the plan A version of it because interaction is the main focus. So I can't really give too much away out of fear of it evolving and changing too much. Yeah. But there is um, £100,000 from November is a massive, massive benchmark. Mm. Um, something I wanted to achieve before I really do what I hope will be my sort of most long-lasting, tangible project because what the three years of campaigning from November revealed to me is just how important getting people directly involved in the process is and that is the most rewarding interaction for me and for them. Okay. So if I can empower and weaponize a project to be able to do that on a bigger scale, that's where real change will happen. So that is exactly what I'm hoping to do. However, a few things might cause some bumps in the road and it seems to be... a uh, at the current time that we're talking, which is Wednesday the 15th, there seems to be a bump or two in the road appearing. So yeah, hopefully, that's... maybe by the time this goes out, everything will be fine. Maybe by the time this goes out, you'll be thinking, Fergus is thinking about a big interactive project next year. What on earth is he talking about? What a fool. But um, mm. either way, the plan is in motion. The uh, The formula and blueprint is set. It's just a case of executing it as and when we can to the best of our ability. So mm. short answer is time will tell. <laughs> Very cryptic. <laughs> And to, but but to be able to to maybe find out more about that, it would be obviously make sense to follow yourself, um, follow November as well. So for yourself, the easiest way by Instagram or something like that. Yeah, Instagram at Fergus Crawley, which is just my name, and then YouTube is sort of other major platform, which is just Fergus Crawley. Again, pretty unconventional name, as far as I'm aware. There's one other in the UK. So. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, I don't think many people want to be associated with that part of the world, Crawley. But um, <laughs> you still live there. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh, I apologise. <laughs> but um, no, that's uh, that's the the best way to get me there. And then there are, if you just search on Google as well, there's lots of previous blog posts and articles and things from November, as well as probably a few from Men's Health, Barbend, and things on previous hybrid endeavours that can give you a bit more context on those. But I think that the platform I'd recommend most is my YouTube, as it gives you the most in depth information on training my mental health journey um and if you want to find out more about the exact details of how i've raised hundred thousand pounds what that process has looked like i did a video two weeks ago two weeks ago no this is going out early january so it'll be about five or six weeks ago um whereby i i put together just the sort of peaks and troughs the i've made this up as i've gone along and this is what it looked like sort of summary of how i've got there but it's uh very much a collective effort. I don't want to be under any illusion that I've done this by myself. No, no. I'm I'm merely a merely sort of a, a young bloke who's just been stubborn enough to keep making it up as I've gone along and, and drag some people along the way. Sometimes kicking and screaming, sometimes willingly. But it's uh, it's been a very very rewarding process for myself, uh, hopefully for others, and it's been amazing to see how much people have got on board. And uh, I will continue to do it in one way or another. But uh, I say again, inter interaction and tangible output is really in the name of the game. And that's what I want to focus on because that's what I've experienced the most long-lasting impact. And I think, especially given current circumstances, that's something that I think we all need more of. 
Mm. Yeah, well, look, all power to you. YouTube channel is very cool. I was watching your your swimming video on there yesterday. So, um, thank you very much. You are good like that. Good like. It looks uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it was very cold, but uh, no, it's a very picturesque setting. Amazing. Uh, well, look, appreciate your time. Hope you fully recovered very, very soon. Um, good luck with the engagement, wedding, plans next year. And again, if there's anything we can help uh, to, to promote and shine a light on what you're doing, then please just um, just get in touch again. And um, yeah, thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you again. Cheers, Fergus. So pretty varied conversation there, pretty pretty deep on some subjects as you'd expect uh, when we're talking mental health, when we're talking um, about Fergus's own attempt at suicide as well. Um, clearly loving life at the moment, doing some amazing things, you know, raising that amount of money for, for November and feeling like a real affinity um, and resonance for a charity like that for, for obvious reasons. I was particularly interested in, in finding out for my own benefit as, as well as your benefit, you know, how he manages to, to structure his day, to keep his mental health positive and, and balanced and, and optimizing his life so, so it works for him. So you, you don't end up beating yourself up when you, you don't achieve everything that you set out to achieve be that on a daily or weekly basis so I really appreciated getting his insights into what happens with his daily routines when he when he challenge when he when he travels um, that's always you know when, when I struggle particularly myself and it's great to highlight the amount of help that is out there at the moment if if you're listening to this um, and you're struggling and we've, we've all struggled at some point in our lives I've been blessed in many ways that I think it was only last year when I actually did an episode on on this for the first time that I was struggling myself during lockdown 553.0 uh, here in the UK um, up till then I've, I've always been super positive um, but it was for me it was one of those episodes where literally the you know my business my livelihood fell off the edge of a cliff like it did for many people um, and it's you know, amazing that my team have helped gain some amazing clients and make it the, the best year we've ever had, especially off the back of a pandemic where we've, we've had essentially a wasted year where I had one client keep us afloat for the whole year, you know. So um, really good discussion, really enjoyed it. We'd, we'd love to, to chat more um, on subjects like this with people like Fergus who are out there who've got experience in this I, I love these conversations around you know optimizing your your physical and your mental health to be able to perform better to be more productive um, for peak performance I love those discussions and I know many of you do so uh, let me know what you thought of that one do scroll down click right to review and uh, let us know your thoughts thanks very much and have an awesome week If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. 
Alongside the Screw It Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you. If you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org, I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. Oh, 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 oh,